Last weekend was the finals of the U.S. Open tennis tournament in Flushing Meadows, New York. And two men vied for the championship. Uh, Novak Dokubic and Michael Medvedev. Now, Dokubic was, is an interesting, it's an, he's an interesting character. Uh, he was doing, he was trying to accomplish something that hasn't been accomplished since 1969, and that was to win the, the single-year Grand Slam in tennis, and that is, not, that is not easy. It's not an impossibility, but it is very difficult. Many individuals at this level of tennis have, have tried to accomplish that, but have, haven't done it. And, and then Michael Medvedev, uh, or excuse me, uh, this is Daniel Medvedev. I'm thinking of somebody else. Daniel Medvedev had never won a Grand Slam title in tennis, and he was in the finals, and he was able to take down Dokubic to win his first, uh, his first Grand Slam event. So it was, it was really compelling. And I'm telling you, and not only, it was a convincing win. It was 6-4, 6-4, 6-4, three straight sets. So it was a dominating performance. These guys, watching world-class tennis is, uh, it's just remarkable to me. Uh, the power, the finesse, and I watch, a lot, I watch a lot of it online, and I see some of the, the fun stuff these guys are able to do, uh, things that you would just, how in the world did you pull that off? Their speed on the court. But the interesting thing about both of these competitors is by the time they got to Arthur Ashe Stadium, which is the big center court stadium in New York, they knew each other's game really well. There wasn't, there wasn't any question. They played each other before. Uh, they have, I'm sure, watched film of the other competitor play. I don't think there's any question about that. They know everything their competitor can do on the, on the tennis court. So when they showed up, there wasn't any surprises. You know, it was just a matter of who is going to have the greatest competitive edge, who's going to have the greatest, really, uh, what, what commentators were saying after the tournament was is that Dokubic just did not have the legs to, comp to, to finish it off. He was just too tired. And that's what it takes. You've just got to have an incredible amount of endurance. All right, so... What I want to do is I want to rewind a little bit. A little bit. I want to rewind back to my high school years. And you say, oh, do we have to go back that far? Yes, you do. So there. So I played tennis in high school, and I was a, it, was a, it was a blast. It was so much fun. And we, uh, we competed hard, we played hard, and we lost a lot. And you say, well, why? Weren't you guys any good? No, we weren't any good. Well, we were okay. We, honestly, our tennis team was good. But we lived in a cold weather climate, and so we had snow at times all the way up until June. And in our city, we had no indoor tennis facility, so we had to do everything outdoors. One match I remember very clearly, we, we had to go to the tennis courts early to scoop snow off the tennis courts so we could compete. So we didn't do particularly well against warm weather schools, as you might imagine, because they're playing a lot. We're not able to, we're very seasonal. And so... What would happen is when I would get, in, get ready for my singles match, I would introduce myself to my opponent and saying it was whether cordial, cordial, respectful, whatever it was, it was an introduction. And then we would begin to warm up for our match. There would be a few, you know, just baseline hits that we would do. We would rally a bit. We would volley a bit. We'd take a few serves, a few overheads, just to try and get ready. Through that entire, through that entire uh, process, before the match started, there was something I was doing. And he was doing it too. He was assessing my ability and I was assessing his. I was profiling what he could do or could not do. 
I was judging, I was judging his speed. I was judging his range. Okay? So then we begin the match and I'd lose. There you go. In two years of varsity tennis in high school, I don't think I won one singles match. Not one. Now, won some doubles matches. That was great. The singles just escaped me for whatever reason. Now, I know y'all feel very, very sorry for me. Don't. Don't. I, you know, I don't honestly look back at that with anything but fond memories. Tons of laughter. Great trip. It was just, it was a marvelous experience. But did you notice the words that I used? I was judgmental of that particular individual. Even though I didn't know him. In fact, I'd never seen him before, but I judged them. So you have to ask the question, why is then judgment wrong? Because that was judgment, but there was nothing wrong with that. That was kind of a normal process in that context. So why, why is there this, this aversion to being judgmental? Well, that's what we want to talk about, because... I think we're going to learn some things that there's judgment and then there's judgment. And how do we distinguish between the two? And the title of the message is how to, be, how to Judge Without Being Judgmental. And before we get too deep into the, kind of the text for this morning, one of the things that I've done in the past couple of weeks is give you some realities. And so I want to give you five realities as we begin to kind of set things in motion. The first reality is this. We, first of all, we all make judgments. We all make judgments. You can't you cannot walk through any day without making some type, and I'll use different words, assessment, profile, determination, um, size up. You just can't do that. It happens very naturally within our day. You look at things, you know, who do I believe? Whether or not this guy or gal is the right one that I should marry, should I trust this person with my finances? In addition, I think we make faith-related judgments. You know, what church, if a church aligns with our beliefs, if sin has to be confronted, if a group is a cult or not. Here's a little phrase for you. We are constantly viewing others' actions through evaluative lenses. We are constantly viewing other people's actions through evaluative lenses. Everybody is. And you can't get away from it. You can't deny that's just our part of the human experience. Second reality is, Motives factor strongly into the judgments we make. Motives. What is my motive? What am I motivated by? Think about it. What motivates us to be judgment? The judges. Is judging others, now think about this for a second. Is judging others a mask for my own insecurities? My own jealousy? My own envy? Am I guilty of the same things I'm passing judgment on? Am I holding people to an unrealistic standard? By my judgment, am I making myself look better in my own eyes and in the eyes of others? Those are all motives that are really contrary to godliness. So we have to kind of check our motives when judgment becomes a part of that daily experience. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says, You therefore have no excuse. Listen to this. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge, another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Motives factor very, very strongly into our judgment. The third 
reality is that many of us are simply unaware that we're displaying a judgmental attitude. We're unaware of it. Let me give you an example. As I was prepping for this week, I don't know, I don't remember the exact occasion, but something came across my, my thought process that caused my blood pressure to boil. And so I immediately, and I even said it out loud. I said something that was not kind about the individual that had caused my blood pressure to boil. And I stopped myself mid, almost mid-sentence and went, you're being judgmental. But I was unaware of it. I think often what happens is we, an attitude of judgment becomes almost a default. It's a default response. When there is something that we may disagree, and I, and I get it, we're, all, we're not going to always 100% be in agreement about everything. I get that. That's not the point. But my motives have got to remain pure. As a Christ follower, my motives have to remain pure. Well, another reality is overgeneralizing can be very problematic regarding being judgmental. Overgeneralizing. I have made this very clear on numerous occasions. I don't like English. Not the language, mind you, but the the class, the educational side of English that I had to endure all through every level of education. I did not like it at all, at all. And everybody in the room can say, can we ever tell because you don't talk very well. And you know what's so ironic is that my youngest son is an English high school teacher. My daughter-in-law is an English teacher who is now a principal of a high school. It's like, it's like, <laughs> show you for not liking English. One of the, some of the things that I remember about English, other than the absolute despising of the class that I had, the contempt that I had for English, was this. Be careful of the words you use, such as never, all, always. Why? Because it's an overgeneralization. It is rare, it is rare that if something is always something, other than the character and nature of God. God is always good. God is always graceful. God is always loving. God is always forgiving. Hallelujah for that, huh? But we have to be careful in overgeneralizations because it causes us to to be judgmental in a way that isn't, that isn't godly. And then the final reality is that relationships affect how our judgments are made. Relationships affect how our judgments are made. It's easy to judge someone you don't know. <laughs> right? You see somebody on TV and you go, oh man, that guy, that guy, wow. That, you know, we just lay it on them. We don't know them. We have no idea what's going on in their life. None, but yet we have pronounced judgment. We are sure that's what they're like. Well, are we really? I don't think we are. I don't think we are. So where do we go from here? Well, here we go. If we want to stand for something, we have to stand against other things. If we want to affirm something, make a proposal, or cast a vote, you have to pass judgment. Okay? You just have to. 
There's no way that we can walk through this life without judgment, assessment, determining. Okay, we, we can't do it. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 24. Make a right judgment. So you see these words and you go, wait a minute. Okay, so if Jesus is saying, make a right judgment, it tells me that there's a right judgment to be made. Correct? I don't know how else to read it. If, we're, if Jesus says, make a right judgment, then i got to figure out what the right judgment is. How do I get there? So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it. Pray with me. Jesus, thanks for our time together this morning, and I pray that you will open your word to our hearts, change us, challenge us, and encourage us today by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, there's a parallel passage found also in Luke 6, some very similar passage, a little more expanded. But Matthew chapter 7, we're going to spend a few minutes. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Let me give you a little bit of background. This is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So he's been talking about really an alternate way to live life. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And if you, you starts out with, you'll remember these, the Beatitudes. You know, remember those, blessed are those. That's where this begins. And now kind of in the middle of the message, we come to this portion of Scripture, Matthew 7, verse number 1. Look at it with me. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll, be, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you. The pieces. Interesting passage of scripture. So there's three thoughts, three thoughts that really help us understand how to judge without being judgmental. The first is to be obedient. Is to be obedient. It is really interesting as you look at this portion of scripture. Jesus comes right out and he says, "Do not judge." And I'm telling you, there's a there's a lot of folks that just kind of go off the rails on that passage of scripture. I mean, just those just those words. Don't judge. I wonder if you've ever experienced that from someone who may not necessarily agree with your perspective on things, and you express that, and then they come back at you, well, don't judge. Who are you to judge me? So you can, and because they, they may even go down this, they may go down this road. They quote Jesus. Jesus said, don't judge. Well, then you're like, well, how am I going to, how do I, how do I deal with that? Because it's what it says. Very clear, do not judge. The thing that is being condemned here is this. Looking unfavorably, listen carefully, looking unfavorably on the character and actions of others, which leads invariably to pronouncing a rash, unjust, unlovely judgment on them. Do you notice the words, these words? Looking unfavorably on the character, and it becomes unjust just, unlovely. Craig Rochelle, who pastors in Oklahoma, really helps, I think, in this, in this setting. Here's what he said. He said, everyone is facing a battle you know nothing about. Can I get an amen with that? 
everyone is facing about it. You know nothing about it. So how dare I step into a situation and make an assessment of somebody whom I don't know? Remember we talked about the relationships, how relationships factor into making a judgment? Think about it. You see, to be judgmental is to make a quick, excessively critical judgments, especially moral ones. That's important. Excessively critical. Quick. Especially around moral issues. Man. Think about the things that people who we, who we pass judgment upon, whether it's their clothing, their politics, their hair color, their body art, their ethnicity, their church background. We simply don't have any business judging the people connected to any of those things. We have no business doing it. When we do, when we do, we define external appearance as one's internal identity. And whatever, however that manifests itself. We're looking at somebody on the outside and we have made an excessively critical, unjust judgment of that person when we have no idea what's going on in their life. For Samuel 16, the Lord told him, people judge others by what they look like, but I judge people by what's in their heart. Consider this. So what, what do I have to do with obedience? This word obedience keeps showing up in the Bible. Kind of like every time you turn around, you go, there's that word again, obedience. What do I do with this? Obedience, i got to obey, i got to obey. Yeah, we do. So if I look at this, if I look at this, and Jesus says, don't judge, what should be my immediate response? Not to judge. Right? I should obey. I should be obedient to the words of Jesus. It seems as if every time we turn around, we're being challenged with obedience. And Scripture reminds us we show our love for God by obeying His commandments, and they are not hard to follow. We show our love to God when we obey His commandments, and they're not hard to follow. Oh, yeah? Sure, when it comes to everything else but judgment. It seems a little difficult, Lord, that I have to be obedient in this area, okay? Now, if I'm going to show my love, okay, you get what I'm saying. And I agree 100% with the verse, but as I've already said, I've caught myself being judgmental even as I was preparing this message. To obey is better, that's what Scripture tells us. But this one seems really hard, or is it? Or is it? If it seems hard, consider putting another command ahead of this one, Okay? Consider putting another command ahead of the do not judge command. On Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. John 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Though I cannot get away from what Jesus is saying here. He says the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Not just the neighbor who believes and who looks and who acts and who walks and who dresses and talks like you. Our neighbor. Everyone. And then Jesus says this. He just puts the boom on the top. A new command I give you, love each other as I have loved you. And it is by that love that others will know that you belong to me. And unfortunately, judgment from the lips of followers of Christ have identified us as followers. And God forgive us for that. If we will put loving God first, loving our neighbor in connection to it, this issue of judging will not be an issue. We will judge correctly because love becomes the foundation by which we judge others. Romans 14, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. All right, second thing. First of all, to be obedient. The second way we judge without being judgmental is to remember God. To remember God. In this first verse, you see... and. Don't judge or you too will be judged. Think about that phrase. And you, or you too will be judged. Have you ever thought about who might do the judging? Huh? Is it, is it somebody else will judge you if you judge someone? You know, that's certainly possible. But I think the bigger picture is, uh, is God himself. Because he is the ultimate judge, is he not? Jury duty. Jury duty has lots of images, doesn't it? Uh, all of us kind of go, oh, no, I just got the notice. Oh, how can I get out of it? Don't, you're laughing because every one of you have tried. Okay. Now, sometimes, you know, and I got called for jury duty. We were living in the Bay Area at the time, and I got called for jury duty. And I says, oh, I did the same thing. Oh, nuts. So, whatever. So I had to put it off for a while because I had scheduling conflicts. So I finally showed up to the jury and I said, and wouldn't you know it, I get called as juror number two. I went, this is going to be really difficult to get out of this. So we go through the whole jury thing and I'm still sitting on the jury. I haven't been dismissed by either one of the attorneys. And so we end the day and I went, and so the judge gets up and he says, all right, We'll see you all here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. as we begin our jury. And I went, oh, no, I just got seated on a jury. And I said, all right, fine. I'm going to buckle down, and I'm going to be a good juror. So that was my deal. So I went home, got back the next morning, all ready to go, get seated in the jury box. And the judge gets up, and he starts going through the roll. And he's got the jurors, and then he's got the alternates. And, and now as he's, you know, they, if you've ever done it, you know kind of how they do the drill. And they go through the, I'm present, I'm here, I'm here. And he got to this one guy. John, I don't know, I don't remember his name, because I'm making a name up. And if your name is John Smith this morning, this is no reflection on you, okay? John Smith! No answer. John Smith, are you here? No answer. The, the judge turned to the bailiff and said, Bailiff, would you please issue an arrest warrant for John Smith for no-show at jury service? And I went, ooh, ouch. That was kind of hurtful. And, then, and what, I thought, what I thought was such this 
incredible moment. The judge got up and said, all right, everybody, I want to tell you thank you for coming. Right after you guys left yesterday, we settled the case, and the case is dismissed. You all have been free. Thank you so much for your service. And left. And this guy got nailed. And I'm thinking, that's, I'm kind of, I kind of laughed, I think. It's hilarious. So why do I bring it up? Because when the judge spoke, something happened dramatically. And I think it's in, very interesting that Jesus says, don't judge, or you too will be judged. And I don't think he is speaking of another person judging us, but he is speaking of the ultimate judge of the universe. Because our words have power, so do your thoughts. Because out of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is what is inside us that drives that judgmental tone and attitude. Psalm 58 says, Surely there's a God who judges justly here in the earth. 2 Corinthians 5, we almost stand before Christ to be judged. Hebrews 12, you've come to God himself who's the judge over all things. 1 Peter 4, but they'll have to answer to God who judges the living and the dead. Wow. That's just reality. That's just God's word. What about this? Would we wish God to judge us? with the measure we judge others? Think about it, friends. Think about it. Remember, we all make judgments. We all do. But would we wish God to judge us as we have unjustly, critically, unlovingly judged others? God forbid that would happen to me. God forbid that would happen to us. Because when God judges, things happen. And there is no one more qualified than God to judge us because He sees both past, present, future, all at the same time. He is the only one that can make a proper judgment about anything, and He is the one who will ultimately judge me and you. So when we start moving down the road of judgment, Remember God. Be obedient. Don't judge. Remember God. The third, the third is to evaluate yourself. Evaluate yourself. It's interesting when you read this portion of the scripture, there's a, there's a very popular, it's all somewhat popular, but in verses three to five, we, we read about we read about a speck and a plank. Okay? Okay, so this is kind of where our evaluation comes in. So look at this with me, verse 3, Matthew 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let's take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. As I said, we all make judgments, but what is the spirit what is the spirit that fuels, drives, empowers those judgments? What is it that just gets it moving? Because in the process of how to judge, it requires, it requires us to do some very serious self-evaluation. Jesus is clear. He talks about perspective. He says some of us, when we make these judgments, we have a plank in our eye. But we're so concerned about the speck in someone else's 
that we ignore what's here. And Jesus has, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because, oh my gosh. Here's what he says. He says, you're a hypocrite. I don't know about you. I don't want my tennis opponent to tell me I'm a hypocrite, let alone God. Because that's a revelation of my heart. That my heart is not true. That my heart is not honest. That my mouth is saying one thing when my heart is acting another way. Hypocrite. Yikes. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. It's saying, do as I say, not as I do. Wow. That's poignant. And it's something that sobers all of us. Should. Matthew 7. Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter God's kingdom. This is the same sermon on the mass. Just a few, just a few minutes later, Jesus would say, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter God's kingdom. The only people who enter are those who do what my Father in heaven wants. And on the last day, many will call me Lord. They will say, Lord, Lord, by the power of your name, we spoke for God. And by your name, we forced out demons and did many miracles. And I will tell those people clearly, get away from me. You people who do wrong, I never knew you. Oh my. Oh my. That's a matter of one's heart. I would just ask you right now, right where you are, is your heart right with God? I don't care what you tell me. Really don't. Words. Words are words. How's your heart? Is your heart right with God today, right now? Is your heart right with God? Because that's where everything comes from. You want to know how not to judge? Get your heart right with God first. Get that taken care of. And then we can move from there. And you're going to be able to apply these five things I'm going to give you in a minute in a much more godly manner to where judgment will not be the issue. Some years ago, I had the honor of serving what is called the executive presbytery of our SoCal network of the Assemblies of God, which is just essentially the leadership team of the network. I had the privilege of serving there for some years. One of the responsibilities that we had was the, the oversight and administration of ministerial conduct, discipline. It didn't happen often. I'm grateful for that, but it did happen. And each time an individual would come before us, we would stand as a group, and we would walk through this process. And I do not, and I, I'm not, I cannot say without, you know, equivocation that every time, I don't want to do that over a generalization thing, but I would say the majority, if not every time that happened, here's the thought that crossed my mind. How would I want to be treated if I was in this individual's place. How would I want to be treated? I'm telling you, it changes things. It offers a different perspective because see, it's not, it's, it, it, we've got to be careful about this speck and plank thing. And we all get there. Well, you know, this guy, 
this gal. But me, I've got oof, this guy, this gal. Speck and plank. So as we evaluate ourselves, here are five things that should frame our judgments. Five things. The first should come as no surprise, and it's grace. It's grace. If I'm going to make a mistake, which <laughs> you say, oh man, you, dude, you have got that mistake thing going down. You got it. If I'm going to error, I want to error on the side of grace. Hear me? I want to err on the side of grace. It's so important, grace. I, 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 love, I love this definition. Grace is unconditional love toward a person who doesn't deserve it. I'm telling you, I want to be a person. I want to be someone who administers grace. But also the benefactor of grace. What would be, what would be, what would, what would our church be like? Everybody look at me. What would our church be like in every situation, in everything that we ever did or said? We always started from the perspective of grace. It would be radical because our society doesn't know the power of grace that has been extended to us through Jesus. But if they did, ah. Oh, but unfortunately, I wonder how lacking we are as the people of God in the understanding of the magnitude and the greatness of grace. Grace. You see, the only difference between us and any other sinner is the grace of God at work in us. Do you hear that? The only difference is the grace of God. Romans 5.20, but where, there's, where sin increased, Grace increased all the more. But for the grace of God, there go I. Have you ever heard that phrase? But for the grace of God, there go I. I want grace to be what frames what I say, what I do, how I think, how I live. There's another word connected to it. It's called truth. Understand something. Grace without truth is not grace. One more time, grace without truth is not grace. It's license. It's license. No, we don't want to go there. Grace and truth are coupled together. It is a powerful combination. Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 14, he was full of grace and truth. He showed grace to a woman caught in adultery, but he said, go and sleeve your life of sin. And she went away changed because of the grace and the truth that Jesus administered to him, to her. The same should be true for us. Remember this, if we want to stand for something, we have to stand against other things. If you want to affirm something, make a proposal, cast a vote, you have to pass judgment. It's just the way it is, but it's to be done with grace and truth. The, James chapter 5 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering 
will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. You see, when we have to make judgments about things that are contrary to godliness, we have to do, we do so with grace, but we also do so with truth. What happens? We bring someone back from the brink into a place of repentance and back into a place of relationship with God. We have won a friend forever and we have preserved someone from the difficulties and dangers of a life away from God. The goal of a righteous judgment is to bring another person closer to God. The third thing is God's Word. God's Word. It's our rule of faith in life. Our standard of judgment is God's Word. And I will tell you, this is in, there is conflict today with what God's Word is saying. Culture is fighting against the Word of God as being our rule of faith and practice. Understand this. When we talk about that standard, that bottom line, God's word, this is important. It is not our preferences that matter. Okay? It is not the culture's preferences. It is not the culture of 50 years ago preferences. To judge rightly, we have to judge by the only standard of the only one who has ever judged rightly. Genesis 18.25 says, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. He is the one who sets the bar. Not me, not you, not culture, not 50 years ago, not 20 years from now. It is God's word, God's standard for the rule of faith and practice in our life. That's what it is. Bottom line, end of story, end of conversation, it's God's word. It's God's word. God's word identifies what sin looks like and what righteousness looks like. And God is the author of that. That's our rule of faith and practice. 2 Timothy 3, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. It's God's word. Biblical judgment must be a part of the life of every Christian. It's just truth. Fourth is humility. A posture of humility will always serve us well when we're in positions where we have to make judgments. A pride will, will derail any godly judgment that we ever make. It's just going to derail it. Again, it's back, to, it's back to the speck and the plank. Pride. We have to remain humble. Proverbs 11, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Do you hear that? That's such a, I read that again this morning as I was prepping, and I just, I just kind of had to pause for just a second. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. God, give me the wisdom that comes with humility. Ephesians 4, always be humble and gentle. Be patient and accept each other with love. Philippians 2, when you do things, don't let the selfishness of pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. And then finally, number five, wisdom. Be open to the idea that your perspective doesn't show you the entire picture. Your perspective doesn't show you the entire picture. Seek the wisdom of God and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. 
really important. James chapter 1 and verse number 5, very familiar to many. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, let them ask of God. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given. You and I are going to be put into situations maybe before today ends where we will have to make a judgment about something. How are we going to do it? Grace. Be obedient. Remember God. Self-evaluation. Grace. Truth. God's word. Humility. And wisdom. When we let these fuel us and frame how we judge I'm pretty confident something's going to happen. We're not going to be judgmental. We won't. We won't. Because, remember, we put this love commandment ahead of. We, we keep that, we keep a perspective in place. We're going to make sure that, okay, plank. Oh, man, if I got a plank, I got to get the thing out of my eye. And then I can deal with what's here in reality. So as we bring our time to a close, how to judge with me about judgmental is a ta challenging task. And as I've thought on how we should conclude today, there's one thing that rises above the rest. The speck in the plank. That's just, it's just, to me, it's where it, it's where it all is. And I have been guilty of having a plank in my eye and trying to pull the speck out of someone else's. Maybe you could join me in saying, yeah, I've done that too. But I do think it is something that God can correct today if we allow him to. Martin Luther said, be careful not to measure your holiness by other people's sins. Wow. And I fear that often that's something maybe we all do. And probably could just use a general Statement of God, forgive me. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions real quick. And I'm not going to even have you bow your heads. How's that? Oh, I'm terrified. Not going to answer these questions. Don't be. Because I have a feeling, <laughs> if we're honest, and so we should be honest, you're in church. Okay? God's watching. He's listening. Okay, here we go. If we're honest, I have a feeling every one of us will respond affirmatively. Have you ever made a judgment where you were judgmental? Okay, don't put them down. Don't put, don't put them down. Don't put them down. I want you to look around the room. Come on, everybody look around the room. Put your eyes on everybody else. Now you can put them down. Okay. Why do I do that? Because we're in, a, we're, we're, we're in a similar place, aren't we? That's why this was the number one topic, because we're trying, to, we're trying to deal with, how do we deal with this? Because our culture is so challenged today. Literally, every time we turn around, we're having to make a judgment about something. And it's hard. Can we just be honest? It's hard. Because I want to represent Jesus well. I know you want to represent Jesus well. And if I'm criticized for being judgmental, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to honor Christ in the things that I say, in the things that I do, in the statements I make to people, in the interactions that I have. I think that's all of our 
hopes and desires. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and we're going to pray specifically about perspective. Because all of us this morning, we've just confessed to the truth that we've all made judgments where we've been judgmental. So we're going to take a collective forgiveness this morning, all right? We're just going to do that. So pray with me if you would. Lord, we come before you this morning. And I'm going to use one of these for you. We come before you this morning in humility. Scripture is clear that if we humble ourselves in the sight of God, you'll lift us up. So this morning, we humble ourselves before you. Forgive us, Lord, for judgments made that were judgmental. Forgive us, Lord. Would you just all say that with me? Forgive us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, begin to rebuild in us the qualities of your word so that we can be obedient, we can remember God, that with grace and truth, by God's word and with humility, and and Lord, with wisdom, we would be able to assess, determine, size up, judge in matters of faith, in matters of relationships, that in everything that we do, our judgments honor you. Because we're going to have to make them. So we need your help, sovereign God. Holy Spirit, work within our lives. Give us discernment so that we're not so that we're not just making a decision or a determination based upon only the wisdom that is not complete, and that is our own human wisdom. We need your wisdom, God, the discernment that comes from your spirit within us. Help us, Jesus. Help us from this moment forward as we make judgments to not be judgmental. We give you thanks for hearing us this morning, for forgiving us. And I pray, Lord, that maybe the one who is here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you, one watching, joining us online that doesn't have a relationship with you, that today would be that day. Lord, that we get our hearts right with God because out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks, the the thoughts, the intents of our heart are made made known. So Lord, I pray that you would reveal that and you would heal these hearts this morning. Forgive us of sin. Bring us into a place of right relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. Give you all the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name.